Welcome to the back room of politics. In this episode, uh, we're looking at Groundswell. Um, it's an interesting movement that saw uh, earlier this year tractors come to town in large numbers right across New Zealand uh, with a clear message of dissatisfaction over the way in which uh, particularly rural communities were being treated. Find out a little bit more about Groundswell. I'm joined in the back room of politics today by Laurie Patterson, uh, one of the co-founders of the Groundswell movement. Laurie, welcome into the back room of politics. Yeah, hi, Jerry. How did all this get started? What's the uh, the genesis of um, Groundswell and what's it all about? Well, originally, Jerry, it came from um, the fact that Bryce is involved in the Pomahaka um, water care group. Uh, we better just, can we just explain that? So, so Bryce, you can tell us a bit about him. He's your co-founder. Yep. And if you, if you also tell us what uh, Pomahaka is, because that's a fascinating um, example of what uh, rural communities are, are doing for the environment. Yep. Uh, so the thing is, uh, I think it was about eight years ago, uh, the Pomahaka River in uh, Otago was... Um, I guess, um, assessed to be probably the most polluted river in Otago. And this was before, you know, we've got all great excitement about clean water now. But the people in the catchment decided to call a meeting, actually, and uh, that they all joined together, cut a long story short, and decided that they would do something about it. And so um, they started monitoring everything, of course, and then uh, talking amongst themselves about how, how they could do it. <laughs> Got a bit of advice, I suppose, and um, and so seven years later, it's now in the green for all the, uh, or eight years later, now in the green for all the different assessments on the river, uh, which is an amazing uh, change, really, and I've just been looking at it over the fence. We're in the next catchment, um, and so um, Bryce was involved with that, and, you know, having seen all that they'd done, then suddenly... Um, you know, the government starts imposing a whole lot of top-down rules on uh, on uh, water quality, and really they'd already achieved it, and it hadn't actually cost the country anything at all. They'd done it themselves. They were proud of what they'd done. Uh, so that's really sort of what kicked it off. He actually did a Facebook post saying that he wasn't sure where the country was going, all of this. Uh, mainly and he did that because his wife said, stop telling me about it, do something yourself. Uh, so he did that, and... And my wife actually saw it and said, because I've been sort of talking some of the stuff and said, here, have a look at this. And so I rang him up and that's sort of where we started. So it's pretty much wife driven, I guess you could say, Jerry. Yeah. So the, the uh, Pomahawk thing's a great story because uh, just for total clarity, the river has been uh, bought from the lowest uh, level of degradation or the highest level of degradation down to uh, a pristine state, all by volunteers doing the right thing. Uh, so that's rural community, farmers and others uh, making sure that the, the, the river got cleaned up. And it's that sort of, uh, you know, Kiwi can do sort of thing that is just not being captured at the moment, I think. So Groundswell, what was the um, what was the idea behind that? How did that get uh, going? Well, uh, that, then uh, Bryce and I were talking about things and thought, look, he said, I'm going to make a statement, really. I'm just going to drive my tractor into Gore and... Um, you know, just to show that, you know, I'm not happy with where all this is going and we've done all the work and now we get all this top there, one size fits all stuff dropped on top of us. I said, righto, I'll come with you. So 
we duly uh, put a little thing on Facebook that said that we were going to do it, and that sort of went, um, got quite excited, really. But we set off to go, and we weren't sure if there'd only be two of us, you know, but if it was two of us, so be it. And um, we ended up with about 125 or 130 tractors. They just came from everywhere. Um, and it was also a fine day, and a lot of people, you know, were busy working. <laughs> Um, and then it's so out of that uh, very successful day, I guess you could say. And um, and then uh, a group of guys that were around here said, "You, we want to, we want to join up with you and actually um, give you a hand, if you like." Um, and that sort of uh, and so that was really the starting of the groundswell. Up until then, it was probably just Bryce and I, but now there's a group there. Of, People, not just farmers either, but people, um, you know, farm servicing and things like that. Because the thing that rural areas know is that actually uh, we all depend on each other. You know, without farming, there's no jobs in the in the towns, and without the people in the towns supplying you know, farms and that, um, you know, farmers can't really operate either. So we're interdependent. So uh, from that original sort of uh, exercise of gore, a hundred odd farmers turning up uh, on their tractors. Um, and, and others clearly supporting. Uh, what's that tell you about the mood in the rural communities, about the, the level of impulse, the impulse that's being put on uh, rural communities, particularly farmers at the moment, uh, without any recognition of the fact that they actually are doing a, a lot uh, because they know that that's what their, the future of their industry is? Yeah, that's right. And uh, you've only got to uh, drive down the road and anywhere and you see all the fencing that's gone and fencing off uh, you know creeks and waterways and things like that and every post that you see there that's 18 or 20 dollars that farmers have put into that never mind the war never mind putting up and all the rest of it the farmers have really um turned around the way they look at fresh water and you know like on our property we've got about six big creeks that come down through it i guess and at one time, we'd have just been shifting sheep, and that's what we were doing. We're shifting cattle, that's it. But we wouldn't cross, none of us here now would cross a creek without having a look at it and seeing where it is. And that's been the major, I think, change. Um, you know, so, you know, if there's a bit of sedimentation, where's that coming from? And if you get a minute, you'll go and have a look. Yeah, it's just the fact that uh, farmers are practical people. Uh, they're out there all the time. They're living in the weather, so they understand it pretty well. And um, it's a, a bit tricky when you simply have, you know, top-down rules that are just unworkable or you've got goals set that are unattainable. Uh, by someone sitting in an office in Wellington or something like that. So to be clear, that the people who are joining your protest, so that, that was a big protest, I think it was August, was it, um, where you had right across the country. Yeah, that was the next one. That was the hell of a protest, yeah. We estimate about 60,000 people and 20,000 dogs maybe. Um, yeah, that's right. And I think it's probably the first time well, I never remember a nationwide protest uh, like that before. We always, uh, every now and again, we've had protests in certain regions. Think back to the Springbok rugby tour. That was probably one of the biggest things, that, but it was normally in one area at a time. But uh, that was right across the country. I think it was 50-something towns and cities we had. Uh, this time, there's over 60 doing it uh, in the one on uh, the 21st of November. I think one of the things that really came out of that that was pretty sobering for Bryce and I was the number of people afterwards that said, you know, just for one day, I felt proud to be a farmer. And you think, 
gee, here we are in a country that really depends on farming. It always has, but at the moment it really depends on it, eh? And yet here are the people out there that are actually doing that that are sort of embarrassed or ashamed um, for what they're doing. And I think that's a, a real... Um, I don't know, it was a real emotional thing anyway. When you get a lot of people ringing up and telling you things like that, um, yeah, it uh, sort of pulls at the heartstrings, that's for sure. Yeah, so that, there was a large number of people turned out for that. And I think you've got to remember too that, um, uh, that the issues that you're protesting about, uh, the impost of, of regulation on a, on a, on a um, mandatory sort of basis, um, but how many of those people would be really opposed to environmental standards? So I would suspect very few. Oh, look, we're not against um, environmental standards at all. In fact, we like to think that we offer solutions to things. You think about uh, the freshwater one, uh, we think rather than having draconian rules set on top, we need to follow the Pomahaga water care model and have all the things based on catchment groups. And this catchment groups have sprung up all around the country now. And, and give those people the um, uh, you know ability to actually get on top of the management thing uh, you know and manage it and when you have um, you know groups like that catchment groups doing it people buy into it and they've got pride in their river pride in what they're doing and it doesn't cost the, uh, the country a fortune and bureaucrats and uh, you know tick box, people ticking boxes and and waste um, it, everyone's time. We're much better to put that energy into production, I think. Um, and another one that sort of follows along from that is significant natural areas, um, you know, that are also a, a big problem. And really, we think that would be better based in the QE2 Trust. And the QE2 Trust, in actual fact, farmers have put, I think it's 170,000 hectares in New Zealand, they put into the QE2 Trust, which is then... Um, uh, you know, uh, kept in posterity uh, in that thing, and they've you know fenced it. And QET Trust helps with some of that work, of course. Hasn't cost the country a fortune. Um, and if you think about that area, I don't know, but I think a rugby field's something like uh, half an acre, is it? Uh, not sure. Well, a hectare's two and a half acres, uh, and there's a heaven hundred and seventy thousand, probably getting up to one hundred and eighty thousand hectares that people have voluntarily. Um, you know, um, put there for the, for the nation. Yeah, the QET Trust is a, a wonderful uh, institution, uh, and it's uh, every every single piece of land that's gone into it has come off someone's freehold title, uh, and they've done it voluntarily because mm. they've recognised on their properties uh, those areas of of natural significance. And I think some of the predator fencing that uh, uh, being you know significantly funded by those uh, private donors is also an amazing sort of thing. doesn't get enough attention, in my view, um, and uh, it's something that um, uh, I've personally long been a supporter of. Um, so you've got this sort of in situation at the moment. The groundswell is, is uh, allowing uh, particularly the rural community to express dissatisfaction with the way in which they're being sort of forced to do things uh, even though they're actually coming to that point uh, and very demonstrably so uh, in, in their uh, daily activities. And this sort of demonising of the whole of the farming op op operations, it is a pretty awful thing. But is it just a rural protest, do you think? Yes, there's a lot of pressure on farming. And, you know, in New Zealand, I think we've got a 
start looking at all the good things we do because this is a wonderful country, eh? And we do a good job at so many things, yet, you know, we seem to have a, uh, you know, oh, it's terrible syndrome somehow or other, I think, and we want to tell each other we're the worst in the world at everything and the worst in the world in the OECD, and we're actually not. Um, and, um, you know, fresh water is one of those things, um, drinking water and things like that. We're not the worst in the world. Um, in fact, I think there was a survey came out the other day that on drinking water said we're the, we're the second beat. Oh, sorry, second best in the world. Um, so, you know, we just need to think of those things. And, uh, you know, people that are in the um, productive sector, if you like, are continuously getting belted by uh, everybody um, and, and sort of get their uh, heads down a bit. Then they're not in a, in a position to produce as much as they can, the best as they can, which is good for the country because we certainly need all those exports because we don't actually make anything in this country anymore, Jerry. It all has to come in. Um, yeah. That's right. Well, we've got uh, – you get right into that whole basis of our export economy perhaps at another time, but there's no doubt uh, that uh, horticulture, agriculture, uh, the, the product of the land is very, very significant for us and will continue to be so. And I think not enough people appreciate that New Zealand farmers are incredibly good producers uh, and in, in a way that is that is far superior to many other parts of the world. It's sort of interesting looking at the um, uh, you know the, the whole of the COP that's gone on and various other things. Um, I, I don't think we do enough to promote how well our, our producers uh, operate and uh, just just how the, there is a drive to constantly lower that carbon footprint. Um, you see it in farmers all the time. Um, and, and I was recently at a thing at uh, Lincoln University where uh, they've developed uh, a, a process of sediment ponds on dairy yeah. farms can be treated and uh, brought down to zero methane emission. I mean, things like that, technology is where we're at. And the, the willingness of the New Zealand rural community to embrace that technology is just extraordinary. Yeah, that's amazing. I read about the Lincoln College thing um, or university thing the other day. Um, and, you know, there's lots of little things that are going to come back into our thing and, and help on that, and we're probably talking about methane. And, um, of course, um, although, you know, we've got the lowest methane uh, carbon footprint farming in the world, and we can actually uh, send product to the other side of the world for with less carbon footprint than people can uh, put product there for 5K up the road. Um, but we also have to realise that in the whole methane thing, uh, that um, it's a natural cycle that we're doing with animals. Um, and we've actually got less animals now than we had in 2006. So what's actually happened is the, the methane gas is a 12-year gas, short-term gas, whereas CO2 is thousands of years. And the uh, so the bubble that's up there, the methane, um, is actually depleting. So right at the moment, um, we're not actually uh, the animal, uh, if you like, ruminant uh, thing, isn't really um, contributing to global warming at all. And really, it's global warming we should be thinking about because that's what's going to melt the glaciers and raise the sea level and all the rest of it. And so, um, yeah, we're uh, there's just a real worry in farmers that they have now that they're going to have to work out how much methane they're producing all the time for something when really they're not contributing anything at all, which is just a great exercise and costing money for them. And yeah, 
Well, it will it's, be. A real, it's a real worry, and I think I think the, it's the greenhouse gas thing would probably be one of the biggest worries that farmers have got at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Um, what is the groundswell message, Laurie? Well, if you were to encapsulate what it's about, um, and we'll come and talk in a minute about the protests you've got uh, organised for the twenty first of November. But what would yep. the, what is the message that's there? It's, well, I think, I think the frustration is clear, uh, the dissatisfaction is clear, the, the lack of recognition for things that uh, are being done is, is also clear. What's the message? Well, I think the message is common sense, really. Um, you know, we just want common sense approaches to things uh, that people can work through and we can get improvements, you know. You know, we're not we're not against change. Um, in fact, uh, farmers have been changing, you know, for the last forty or fifty years. And if you think back to the 1960s, if you went to the UK and you asked a, a uh, farmer over there why he did what he was doing, and he'd probably say, "Well, because my father did it and my grandfather did it." In New Zealand in the 50s and 60s, with uh, you know, with organisations like Lincoln University and Massey University, we adopted a whole lot of new ways of doing things. The number eight wire mentality, it's sort of cool, but but because of that, uh, farming has changed uh, dramatically, and um, you know, you've only got to look at perhaps the um, sheep thing where we've cut the flock in half, but we still produce the same amount of meat uh, for export. Uh, so um, it's, it's, it's common sense and frustration with the fact that that everything's top down and we know how to do this when farmers on the ground look at things and say, well, hang on, but that's not going to work, you know, and it's not, and it's also not the groundswells just anti-government, we're just anti-unworkable regulations and it wouldn't matter which party was in government, if, if we had these unworkable regulations, we'd be trying to do something about it, really get the government's here to see if they can actually uh, take some of our ideas on board. Yeah, it's, um, if I may make the ironic observation that a lot of people who will be probably expressing views that aren't uh, terribly favourable for farmers are probably wearing clothing that's substantially plastic as opposed to a beautiful natural product like wool. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's it's a weird world that we live in to some extent. <laughs> You're right. So, um, so, so um, the 21st, you've got a protest. Tell us about how that's uh, shaping up. Uh, well, it's uh, shaping up really well uh, in actual fact um, in that we've now, instead of 50-something um, towns and cities that we're going to do it last time, we've now got 60-something and there's more coming on every day. Um, I think one of the differences is, uh, and there's a lot of talk about the town and country divide, you know, and I think, you know, we probably, sitting in the country, have thought that, you know, there is this big divide. But... Um, you know, we get so many phone calls from people out of the cities actually saying, hey, look, we understand what you guys uh, are going through. We don't agree with, uh, you know, we appreciate what you do. We don't agree with all these uh, draconian regulations either. And so before we had the um, the hell of a protest, which was the one in July, uh, most of our phone calls were coming probably from rural people. This time, the big change is that most of them are actually coming from uh, urban people. Funnily enough, and um, and so you know, it's a matter of um, just keeping putting out there um, that you know these rules are unworkable, and we've got the eight rules that we that we work on. That's our core activity, and that's where we're focused. Tell me, are you worried a little bit about uh, message capture? Um, you know, the the sort of 
at the uh, uh, hell of a protest. There was a lot of anti-vaxxers on the sidelines, not part of your organisation, not part of your message, but uh, nonetheless sort of taking the opportunity to use the occasion. Uh, look, there's always risk in anything that you do, Jerry. Um, no doubt about that. And we've certainly thought about it, but we think there's a risk if we don't do anything as well. Um, and, you know, even though you know, we've got the anti-vax thing floating around and COVID and all the rest of it, the government's still proceeding on with um, with the agenda, really. Um, and people say, oh, you know, you should wait till January and then do it then, things to be better, but... Who knows if they will be better? They could well be worse. So we just had to pick a day, and uh, we're just going to go with it and keep ourselves focused on uh, on our eight points, and um, and hope that common sense. I mean, there was people before the hell of a protest told us we shouldn't be that one, you know, because oh, you'll just alienate all the urban people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't what happened at all. Um, and so, you know, there's always people that say you shouldn't do things. So if you don't have a tractor, uh, what can you do to support the protests? Well, I mean, look, there's a lot of people, as you mentioned uh, the Springbok tour before, I think a lot of people protest, and that's a very long time ago. And uh, in hindsight, I was probably on the wrong side of that argument. But um, uh, a lot of people who were protesting at the time generally aren't the sort who take the streets uh, to express a, a, a view. Uh, they, they have those views and they use other means to uh, get their own opinion across. There'll be a lot of people in this situation who feel the same way. Um, but if you don't have a tractor, uh, how, do you, how do you express that in your protest? Uh, look, the, it's not all about tractors. Um, people are welcome to come in their utes or trucks or even cars. The aim of the whole exercise really is to, in as many towns and cities as possible, get as many people driving into the town and city. So the government might think, hey, gee, there's a huge number of people right across the country that think, you know, that we're perhaps not doing everything right. And maybe then they might come and engage with us and and maybe we can have a bit of, bit of an influence. Uh, but, you know, people are welcome to come in cars, trucks. Uh, in fact, we've got quite a lot of people in the trucking industry going to be coming evidently with quite big units. Um, and really, it's a numbers thing, and uh, and we also encourage people, you know, to stay in your vehicle, stay in your bubble. Uh, and that's why we've done it a bit differently, where we're not having speaking events, things like that. Just stay in your bubble and just drive into town. I think in Auckland, the plan is to come up the motorway and go uh, towards the Oak um, uh, Basin down into that area somewhere, and then just disperse out of there. Tell me, uh, if people want to get the details, do you want to do a promo for where people might uh, be able to find out more about the what's happening in their area? Uh, go to um, uh, motherofallprotests.nz events slash events, and you should pick up there each town uh, where they're having meeting points and, yeah, what's happening. Okay, and, and you've got uh, a statement going out about one o'clock, I think, um, on the airways. Yeah, that's right. One thirty-five, actually, Jerry. Uh, Bryce is going to uh, read a statement. Uh, so turn on your radio to um, your local ZB um, frequency, and you should pick that up there. And that statement will encapsulate uh, the frustration that's out there. The um, uh, I, I suppose you'd say that the concern that's out there uh, and and promotes an idea of what uh, 
might be a better way to go about things. Uh, that's right. It's just going to be a statement of where we think uh, things are at and where they need to go. Well, Bryce, it's a, a, a fascinating the way the groundswell uh, movement has um, got underway. I think it's one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of, when people use that word movement, they sometimes see a negative connotation. And I think there's an awful lot of positive in this. Uh, and I think it's a, a great thing that people are prepared to uh, actually fight their corner because the ridiculous situation that we're in is that New Zealand desperately needs a vibrant rural community. Uh, yes, we do need to monitor and to improve environmental standards, and I know that rural community are very keen on all of that. Um, and the one thing I'd just uh, finish on is, you know, we talk about the economy at the moment having grown by $17 billion in the last year, GDP up by that fact, by that, by that number. But at the same time, the government's borrowed $42 billion. So you can see yeah. Yeah. kind of a bit of fool's paradise um, uh, and, and rose-tinted glass exercise going on at the moment. We need farmers. We need it. To, uh, need the farming community to work well and to feel a lot better about what they're doing because their contribution is enormous. So, Bryce, can I thank you very much for your time? Not Bryce, sorry, co-founder of Bryce. <laughs> uh, Laurie, can I thank you very much for, for your time today? Uh, pass on regards to Bryce and uh, best wishes uh, for a, a successful and peaceful process uh, protest on the 21st of November. Thanks, Sherry. Yes, I'm pretty sure that uh, most people will be using their common sense on Sunday and uh, it'll be good. Interestingly, I think as far as Groundswell went, some people just wanted someone to stick their head up maybe and say something. And um, it's only a year and a week, I think, since we did that first trip into Gore on our tractors. And and um, just looked the other day, there's... Um, I think it's 37 or 38,000 people following Groundswell on Facebook, which is amazing, really, and, yeah, a bit surreal. But, um, yeah, so we look forward to the 21st anyway. Good on you, Bryce. Power lies with the people. Thanks very much for your time today. G'day. Catch you later.